listening to the Theo Bros Podcast. Johnny Artavanis. Did I say your name right? That's right. Johnny Artavanis. Correct. It's the Greek name. I've been, it's Greek. Awesome. I've been listening to yeah. uh, your podcasts and I've just been practicing it. I was shooting hoops today, just chanting your name, <laughs> Artavanis. Don't mess it up. So, yeah. Perfect. You, yeah. I don't, I, you probably did mess up at least on your jump shot if you're trying to get my name right. No, I don't mess up my jump shots, man. I, I'm <laughs> okay. just clutch. No, I'm just kidding. Johnny is the Dean of Campus Life at the Masters University. And he hosts the podcast Dial In. He's a content creator for For the Gospel Ministry and the content director of the Master's Fellowship. Anything else I need to add, Johnny? No, that's it. Other than being husband to Katie and dad to Lily, you got pretty much everything else. That's awesome. And Katie was helping you out with tech, man. She's killing it. I'm just technologically illiterate, so <laughs> her, her genius shines against the backdrop of my stupidity. It's got to be weird, like someone else interviewing you. Me? Yeah. Because I, uh, no, it's it's fun. It's not weird. I I'm kind of just I'm ready for any of the questions. I I'm not sure yet what team you root for, so there's a little bit of concern there. Okay. But everything else, I'm good to go. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll get into that. I just. Tell, your, tell my listeners where your mustache is. I posted this picture of you behind a pulpit <laughs> and this beautiful mustache. I was so happy about it, so proud. Um, and now it's gone. You know, I, I set off to have a mustache that rivaled Daniel Day-Lewis. And <laughs> I realized that sometimes you have to start over so you can get further. So actually what happened is I just I went to trim it because my daughter was ripping it out. And I was like, this is getting a little too long. And then I just took a stab out of it. So it, it, it was looking weird. So I had to start over. So it'll be back in no time. But today is day one. Okay, day one. And I, I think what you could do for all of us really is um, maybe like a week, you know, you could kind of take a picture every week and just show the progress. Like P90X? Yes, exactly. Like yeah. that's exactly the Tony like Horton of mustaches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. P90X. Man, I haven't thought about p90x in so long and i think it's just because of bad memories of never completing <laughs> it so um yeah, just johnny are you a lakers fan i'm a huge laker fan which is hard to say right now but i am so it's hard for you to say and 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 why would that be probably because of the dysfunction of our team because we have no hope for the future because we are paying Russell Westbrook $50 million. You are locked so. in. You're locked into this dead weight, Russell Westbrook. I love these videos of him taking these jump shots, like seven, eight feet out. And somehow he manages to hit the top of the backboard. Like this is an NBA player. So that, that always surprises me. And then you're also like, you've hitched your wagon to LeBron James and you know, LeBron James, he'll go down as one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. But let me tell you, does he, does he feel like a, a Laker to you? He does because they, they brought us a chip. So I think LeBron feels like a Laker, especially since, I mean, really no one feels like a Laker right now. It's kind of like who knows where everyone's going to be. But it's a, difficult, yeah, it's a difficult time being a Laker fan. Some people are saying, it's not me, but some people are saying that the, the bubble championship doesn't count. 
Are you Skip Bayless? <laughs> Some people are saying it. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. No. Some people yeah, I mean, I could, I could see it, but I could also see the other side of the spectrum, a more difficult championship to win with no fans. <laughs> Spin zone. LeBron's nice. mental toughness, you know, a factor in there. So, yes. well, I, I, I would disagree with that. So you're kind of, you're kind of, you've let out a, you know, big sigh of relief. Boston almost won a championship this year and almost, I think they would have, that'll put them at 18 championships to your 17, right? Correct. But the hard thing was who do I root for in a championship series amongst two teams I hate with all my heart. So that was the difficulty. I just did not. I did not want to see the Lakers in it. I'm one of those guys that just is a LeBron hater from beginning to end. Um, if he was on the Bulls, I would hate him. Um, and I have some personal reasons for that. LeBron's done some mean things to us. Um, but enough NBA talk. Let's talk about Dial In. Okay. That's a really cool podcast title, by the way, name, I should say. You have 102 episodes. 186 okay. ratings and reviews. I don't know if you knew that or not. You have 4.9 stars in your rankings. Um, Ma'am0411 wrote this, Johnny. I've learned so much, and Johnny is very easy to listen to. Who is Ma'am0041? I don't know. but I like her. She likes the cut of your jib, man. Um, <laughs> big questions, biblical answers. Um, I've used actually some of your interviews with my high school Bible class. Um, oh, one cool. you did with Owen Strand on um, LGBTQ plus issues. Um, I really appreciated that. Um, sure. I, I love the work you've done. When did you start it and why did you start it? Let's hear your dial in story. So I started the podcast, I think it was a month into COVID, uh, like the shutdown. So maybe a few weeks into it. At that point, I was working full-time at Hume Lake Christian Camps, which is like a student ministries camp on the West Coast. And when the shutdown happened, a bunch of the churches weren't meeting at all, if you remember. Like everything was online. But some of the churches don't necessarily have the budget or didn't have the personnel to be able to put resources online during that time. And they started reaching out to me like different youth ministries or just churches in general saying, hey, would you put together a message for our church this week? And we were doing these videos in my house at Hume Lake. And then I went, uh, I was talking to Katie, my wife and said, man, we should just start pumping out content every single day. Um, and I was getting a lot of messages at that point from like students that I had met at camp saying I'm at home. I can't, I'm looking at pornography every single day. I don't know how to study the Bible. Um, and that was just burdening to my heart. And so I went, man, let's start doing something. Yeah. On a daily basis, which at that point I didn't really know what I was getting into. And I was going to go sequentially through the Gospel of John. That was the, the initial goal. Um, I called it dial in because when I'm preaching, that just became something I said all the time. Hey, whenever we see this, we got to dial in. We got to focus. And so I, we kind of like it was a, a whim type of decision. We were like, let's start doing this tomorrow. Let's call it dial in. And my wife kind of started helping me put the content out there. So I did that for a matter of months to finish John. And I didn't really know who would be for it, you know, when I started doing it, but demographically it's pretty split between high school students, millennials, you know, people in their forties and fifties and 
some people than, that are elderly. And, and that ended up being cool. And the goal was if I wanted to tell a student to understand the gospel and I went, man, maybe there's a, uh, a digestible format for maybe someone who's just trying to understand this and go through it on a daily basis. So 10 to 15 minute episodes, giving people the main truths and uh, context from a passage like John 1, 1 through 18, and then John 2, 1 through 12, or whatever that might be and going through it. So that's kind of metastasized at this point to doing other series. So I, did, I just finished Ecclesiastes, did the attributes of God. So that's one thing that I do. I go through series. And, uh, and then there's the other side, which is the Q&A stuff. And that started because I had talked with uh, Pastor John MacArthur about, hey, I just want to take some of the answers um, that you've answered sometimes in sermon format or have been a part of a Q&A at some shepherd's conference in 2007. I want to answer that in a condensed format where it could be understandable to a 14-year-old, but applicable and deep enough for a 74-year-old. And so we started doing that and he kind of was very helpful in getting everything else rolling. So um, initially we filmed a bunch of those videos and I, if, if you're not familiar, what that is, is I just take a, a big question, um, who is the Holy Spirit and how does he work? And the goal is to get the main truths um, that someone needs to know in a seven to 10 minute answer. And that was the goal of that. I watched an interview you did with Paul Washer. Um, yeah. on the fear of God. And I also got an opportunity to hear you kind of talk with John MacArthur and just uh, about the rapture and about end times. And it's true. Your your stuff is super digestible and easy to binge, um, which is really cool mm -hmm. because people are binging doctrine. They're binging theology. Um, yeah. How do you know, you know, when an interview is done, when we're talking about content creation, you're spending time with these men how do you know the interview went well? I think, I think partially it, it's, if it's clear for me, um, like if I'm thinking through it with the perspective of not just, not just from a youth perspective, but also just the average lay person in the church. And I think we'll probably talk about this later on in, in our conversation, but I think so much of content today is curated for a seminary grad who wants to argue theology on Twitter but most theology needs to be palatable for someone that is at a, not, you know, a normal average size hundred person church. And so if it's not going to be clear to them at that point, the interview is not done with me. So I'll ask the necessary clarifying questions to go, Hey, well, what do you mean by that? And then a lot of times, if you've ever seen like, you know, the episodes, I say, well, how would you respond to someone that says this? Mm -hmm. And I'm presenting to them, probably the most routine rebuttals that someone would provide because I want them, I want to alley-oop them in the conversation. And I think that's been why they've been helpful to some people, but also just helpful to me because I asked some of my own questions in that going, you know, I'm hearing what you're saying. Um, but how would you respond if I had this and you know what I've, or I was unsure about this. And if I feel like there's clarity there, then I feel like it's a, a solid episode. And then I typically will ask them right afterwards, hey, did you feel like you didn't include anything that you wanted to include? And sometimes if they say yes, we'll do it over again. So that's the beauty of short and digestible because it's not an hour long episode where they get to the end and go, let's try it over again. It's 15 minutes. And if, it's, if we're fighting for clarity, then they'll go, let's do it one more time. Mm -hmm. um, that happened with Carl Truman 
recently we were filming something on the the modern self and he was like minute seven in and he just said this is too lofty for the average student let me start over and that was a cool moment because you went this is a guy that's also burdened and interested for the average person to be able to understand what he's saying and so that's where i feel like it's a good episode it tells you a lot about these theologians like john MacArthur or like carl truman that they're not interested in in sounding super smart um they're interested in in people truly understanding christ understanding the lord understanding their bibles you know like jonathan edwards used to after he was thrown out of his church he immediately went and and he ministered to native americans in simple english because yeah because god and his glory was the goal and not making a name for himself what is maybe one of the favorite interviews that you've done? Yeah, I think probably there was one that I did with J Mac where his response was, well, the first time I the first time I filmed with him, I remember asking him, Hey, do you want any questions beforehand? And he said, No, I'll think about it too much. And my answers will be too long. And so <laughs> I remember getting there with him. And I remember asking him, uh, and you, this video is on YouTube. I remember I said, what's the greatest weakness facing the church? And his immediate response was, what's the greatest weakness facing the human body? And I went, I don't know. And he goes, a weak immune system Mm -hmm. because you can die of a hundred different diseases. And that's the same problem with the church, a weak immune system, the inability to discern truth from error. And I will never, ever forget just the immediacy of his response but then also just right before the episode saying, how long do you want this to be again? And I said, eh, five, five to seven minutes. And then just like clockwork, he gives it to me. So that was just cool. You know, I've had a lot of fun with those. I would just say in general, getting to know those guys has been fun. But that response by J-Mac was one I'll never forget. He didn't even know it was coming. And so I just thought, what a testament to a guy that knows how to respond biblically, but also creatively and insightfully to questions that are being asked. And so it was both, it was challenging for me because what a, what a, what a cool response. Yeah. Um, did, what is maybe the, the video that, that you've seen for lack of a better term, go viral, like the most popular video that maybe you've put out that you've seen the best response from. I'm not even actually sure which one is the most popular per se. I can probably check that. I know some of the ones that have done, better are maybe some of just the more fundamental ones to what people are thinking. Like I know the one that pastor John did on assurance of salvation was a popular one. And that's partially because so many people are wondering, how can I really know if I'm saved? Um, I think that's an important one. Uh, The one that I did with Paul Washer on biblical masculinity is another one that's been, I think downloaded uh, more than maybe any other one, which is just, I think, another testament to a curiosity on what it means to be a biblical man in a constantly feminized culture. And so I think those are probably two of the ones that have done really well in regards to the interview formats, for sure. There are tons of Christian content creators out there. Um, what is some godly advice, maybe some practical advice, some wisdom that you would want to pass on to us? Yeah, no, that's a great question. There are a lot of, I think there are a lot of people that make content 
and especially in our theological circle, it's not a huge circle. And so it seems like there's a lot, but I actually sometimes think there, there are not that many people making solid content. You know, part of the reason I started doing this is because I went, man, there's an, I see this as a need and I want to meet that need. So I think sometimes when people hear, you know, even the first thing I was told when I was kind of like expressing my interest in starting a podcast was someone said, there's so many podcasts, Johnny, why would you start one? As almost to discourage the idea. And I went, man, you know, maybe they're right. There are a lot of good podcasts. And now I go, man, if someone has a desire to make content um, for the glory of God, then get after it and be awesome. So I would say that first. Mm-hmm. Now, in re- regards to my being, my encouragement would be, I would say mainly two things. Uh, number one, content matters, meaning your content matters. And I think you should probably ask yourself like some questions as you make content. Number one, is it Christ exalting? Is it scriptural? Is it helpful to someone? Is it balanced? Not balanced as the newfound euphemism for compromise, but balanced in the sense where, hey, everyone that's on a theologically different page than you didn't compromise to get there. How will they know without a preacher applies to people in weak churches and they need the truth. And then I would say is the context in the reason you're doing this or the content rooted in a loving concern for other people. Um, This is going to affect the way that you communicate if you're actually concerned. I think, you know, what's funny is, you know, Paul says in Galatians three, you know, you foolish Galatians, you know, you know, just mutilate yourself. I think what often gets neglected in that is that Paul had spent a matter of years there and said that he would die in order for them to know the gospel. Like that's not rooted in some sort of like, I'm coming after you. It's rooted in, I have deep care, deep concern, and a profound love for these people. So I think that's number one, content matters. And then secondly, I would say your motive matters. Like, why are you trying to do content? Is it for self-promotion or for the glory of God? Are you trying to build Johnny's kingdom or God's kingdom? Now, with that being said, I think sometimes we live in a culture of, suspicion of ambition you know like what's your motive what's your angle um i always i'm reminded of in titus it says if anyone uh or in timothy when i'm blanking but if anyone aspires to be an elder it's a good thing i mean that like you should want to leverage influence for the glory of god so i think you'd have to use discernment on um whether or not your your motive is both God glorifying, um, but also knowing it's okay to to want to be an influence of light in a world of darkness. So I'm o- I'm okay with that. So those would be my main two things: the content matters, and your motive matters. And one of the things that I personally do, Justin, and you mentioned this, I do all the questions, but in my personal podcast series, I do sequential content, is because I think there's a temptation for people to chase the cultural narratives as the fodder for their podcasting subjects, which is why like right now I'm podcasting through Jonah. Um, and because I, I want people to understand the Bible. If I end up tackling a cultural issue, it's going to be because I really thought it was important and because I've prayed enough through it that I'm able to respond. Um, I think sometimes people are just, you, you could just be looking at, Hey, what's happening? What's happening? And so there's probably both a wisdom in navigating difficult situations, but also a, um, 
you know, just like in a pulpit, you know, like you just trying to leverage your, and obviously it's not, it's not a preaching pulpit, but I think there can be a danger when you're constantly starved for what's the cultural hot topic in evangelical Christianity to podcast through. If that makes I sense. think that's a good point. When you were, when you first started podcasting and you said you started during COVID, did you, did you tackle it all? Um, whether it was, um, racism or, you know, even just the fear of getting sick. Did you talk about that at all in your podcast? No, I, I didn't talk about any of that. And part of it was just what people need most is the truth. I'm not afraid to, to dialogue through that. And I was doing that elsewhere as I travel and I, I preach elsewhere a lot as well. So I think that um, I just honestly, at that point, didn't know anybody that was just making content that wasn't talking through major issues or major evangelical leaders that were failing or compromised. And um, I wanted to just make biblical content that was evergreen. I think that's the other thing that I wanted to do is I'm trying to make content that I'll be able to use as a reference point um, and other people will be able to use as a reference point for years to come. Um, And so I think that was one of the reasons I, I went into it initially and for my own heart, uh, part of it. And I told J Mac this when I was first starting with podcasting, I uh, was reading George Whitfield's biography, I think the opening weeks of COVID. And I just was reading that this guy was preaching every single day, but the, all, all preaching elsewhere was shut down because everything was closed down. I didn't want to lose the rhythm of studying and communicating. Mm-hmm. And if anything, I wanted that something to force me to do that. And that's part of the reason I did it as well. I just, I wanted to know, hey, tomorrow I'm covering John chapter seven and I wanted the pressure. Hmm. So that was fun for me. Are you talking about Steve Lawson's book on George Whitfield or were you reading another? That was the first one I read and then I'm reading Dalmore's now, but Steve Lawson's bio is definitely the initial one that whet my appetite for George. Yeah, it just absolutely gave me a zeal and desire to preach Christ <laughs> in, in whatever yeah. avenue, like it just made me want to teach the Bible even more. I mean, he, that guy yeah. spoke to millions. And so, um, and so, yeah, I, I think Whitfield is a really good, really good example of someone who just used whatever avenue he had to be able to speak totally. biblical truth to folks. Yeah, no, I lo- I've, I've loved reading about his life and, it's challenging because we think we're so busy now, yeah. you know, going, we got so much going on, but I, I read about what he was doing and went, man, I want to pedal to the metal for the glory of God and also do all the other things. Well, I want to be a good dad and a good husband, but running the race is relative, you know, the speed and you you can't help but be challenged, I think, in a good way by reading godly men, you know? Yeah. I've been, you know, thinking through this a little bit, Johnny, um, as far as Christian content goes. What are some, what are some worldly practices Christians should avoid when producing and promoting their content? First of all, I think overly comparing your content to someone else's content that's trying to do the same thing as, you know, like Ford compares himself to Chevy. I think if you're both Christians and both proclaiming the truth, there obviously needs to be some sort of a carefulness there. Now, obviously, if there's another person that maybe is 
compromised in some way that would be different but worldly practices i think a lot of times content promotion can become self-promotion because people find their identity in what they make and so i don't know if it's worldly ideas that are being even externally marketed it might more so be internal ways of thinking that subtly creep into a christian content producer's mind and it's that your value to god's kingdom is a direct core is in direct correlation to your downloads on a podcast i think there is a massive difference between notoriety and influence jesus discipled 12 dudes and so i think sometimes even we get into worldly ways of thinking when we go this is how many people are watching this this is how big of an influence i have same with twitter or instagram or whatever it might be and I think that's a delusional perspective on kingdom influence. And so I think we have to be careful of those ways of thinking because it's not all real disciple making. And so that would probably be the main thing that sticks out, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. What are your thoughts on clickbait? Should Christians do it? No, you know, I've had some like good conversations with this about, uh, you know, with, with my friends just about like clickbait type of stuff. I'm not a huge fan of it, um, partially because I would never want to say something online that I wouldn't say to someone else's face. Hmm. It feels uh, uncharitable. You know, what's funny is like you often, you know, people keep on saying things, especially in the last two years. What if R.C. Sproul was still alive, you know? And I love R.C. Sproul. And I, I listen, you know, one of the pivotal times in my life was I was working in finance after college. And I just listened to R.C. in the car for an hour and a half a day, bare minimum, on double speed. So I was just plowing through his content. And I just appreciated his ministry. And you kind of just think, man, aren't you, can you imagine any of those guys you really respect ever going, re, you know, quote, tweet this, you know, like, I just can't. I can't. And so I also think that like the Christian, I remember one guy at Grace Community, he's the elder of facilities, Dave Muxlow. One time he told me the definition of humility is in James. He says, it's being slow to speak, slow to anger and quick to hear. And I just, I love that definition because humility has real girth to it. And I think sometimes even when I was saying about Galatians, like this righteous anger over people that aren't aligned with the truth always needs to be accompanied by a real care and concern. And sometimes clickbait doesn't feel like you actually care about the people you're Twitter bashing. Mm -hmm. It feels like you're just trying to smash them. And so only, only the individual can know their heart. But if I'm concerned about Someone, I, I think, first of all, we're told to pray for them, to reach out to them privately. Um, and sometimes I feel like in our Twitter sphere, we forget that God reads our tweets. And so I'm going to give an account for every idle word, and I'm going to give an account for every single idle tweet. And I can't think about that and think I want to drop some pithy dunk on someone. So I don't align with that. Um, from a convictional perspective. And I do think elder qualification, just Christian maturity in general, yeah. says don't be pugnacious. You know, totally. mature Christians aren't pugnacious. And, and at times I can kind of fall into that trap of thinking, well, Twitter is different than real life. Um, but then I'm, I'm 
that's not being integrous. That's not integrity at all. That's not, you know, living, you know, living, I, I'm living two lives, essentially, my online life and my offline life. And, and that's a, a dangerous, sinful place to be. And so I, I have to check my heart yeah. constantly. These are real people. It's presumably, unless they're bots, you know, who knows, but um, (laughs) the Lord knows. Just half of them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just half of them. However many, you know, (laughs) figures out how many there are. Um, These are people with eternal souls and, and some of them may just be on the edge truly um, of either responding to the gospel for the first time or, or turning their back on the gospel. And so I, yeah. I have to be really, really careful about, um, about clickbait, about, you know, Twitter dunks, those things. Um, I need to check my heart on that. Um, I also think just like, I, when I think of clickbait too, I think of, of uh, titles that people might, or just, you know, like an article they might, someone might share on of their own content, you know, check this out, this person dot, 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 you know, where they're just trying to draw as many eyes as possible. And, and there are some Christian content creators that do that, that just go way yeah. over the top. Um, and to me, that is a, that's very manipulative. That, that's yeah. the way I see it. And if, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, uh, certainly you believe that God, God and his sovereignty will lead that person or lead as many people as he wants to click that article without you being a, you know, a deceiver, a manipulator. Yeah. I think those are valuable points. I think one thing in regards to even how you think through who's reading your tweets is sometimes you can't help but get the impression that some of the Christian Twitters, Twitter accounts, it almost assumes they have no unbelievers following them. Because, I mean, I, I just to give you a personal story. I was talking to a girl in tears less than four days ago. That's identifying as a man. Um, one of the last things I'm going to do, because she now follows me on three platforms. Uh, the last thing I'm going to do is go, what a clown on my social media, referring to a trans person. Mm -hmm. Um, when you do that, what I know instantly is first of all, you can, you can, you can have your influence behind a screen, but that's not real influence. Real influence is face to face. And you are, t- you know, even this whole thing on Twitter about, is it winsome enough? You know, things like that. One of the things just I've been thinking through is I don't think winsome is a good word um, because it has so many meanings right now, but I would say this real conversations tenderize you. They really tenderize you. When I'm talking to a girl who's just straight up confused about our sexuality. I'm not going to quote tweet some pride article and go, what a bunch of fools, Romans one, because I'm hoping that I have homosexual people that I worked with at the restaurant I worked at in college that still interact with me, that still listen to my podcast, that have rejected God, that, you know, I just, I just sometimes think that we forget that, that there's a real mission field and there's a po- there's a component where Jesus was moved with compassion and the clickbait as far as I think getting people to read things is partially because harshness is a strategy. Um, and then all as what you're saying in regards to the marketing component of it, 
I totally see the validity in that as far as read this or else dot, dot, dot. Um, I'm with you there as well. But I think the point about unbelievers um, needs to be considered. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree. I think, and that, that convicts me. It really does. As I think about uh, my own Twitter presence, I think it's really easy to just kind of forget uh, that I'm not just tweeting to saved people, but there are, there are genuinely lots of unsaved people that are, that are paying attention. Um, yeah. and, and I, I do not want to drag Christ's name through the mud, um, whether it's face to face or it's on the online world. And, and I think if we're not interacting enough with unsaved people, um, whether it's through evangelism or whatever ministry that we have within our church, um, then we're not going to be tenderized. I love that word that you use. Yeah. Um, it's generally when we are way too online that we begin to divorce, you know, the humanity of, of these folks from, you know, from reality. Carl Truman said something to me kind of in that regard on, on one of the, epi- on the episode I filmed with him and I was thankful for his time. He just said, we have to discern between the party and the movement and the individual who's made in the image of God. Hmm. And I think he put that in like a, a good way because I, I know that if, if Jesus is interacting with these people, he would have the same care and concern and tell them the truth in love because he cares about them. And so he wouldn't blunt the truth and all those things. And obviously there's the other side of the spectrum where he, lo- he doesn't love them so much to welcome them in their sin. He would confront them in their sin, but because he deeply cared about them. And I think sometimes we forget that. I think you're right. Costi Hinn, who said on your podcast, he actually quoted Warren Wearsby. He said, yeah. um, love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. Um, and I think that yeah. that sums up um, how we should be interacting really well. Um, other than dial in and for the gospel yeah. ministries, uh, what are some of your favorite podcasts, your favorite YouTube channels, content creators, Christians that that we need to latch on to? Um, you know, I, I would say for the most part, I listen to dead men. <laughs> I listen to a lot of sermons. So as far as current content, I read um, first things a, a fair amount. So like just what Carl's writing, um, I, more and more, I read the Wall Street Journal on almost like an everyday basis. That's not Christian, but I think one of the things that it does is, at least from a conversational perspective, helps me to think through it with other guys that are in the content game. So um, I'm trying to, th- uh, you know, Dale's got some great stuff at Relearn, um, Costi for the Gospel. Uh, and I would say other than that, man, I mainly listen to to sermons. Um, I know you've had Reagan on the show who does a lot with productivity. I've appreciated that stuff because I read Deep Work by Cal Newport and was inspired. Um, I love other than that, man, I, I listen to, to a lot of sermons. I think I'm actually surprised, especially how many people that are actively preaching um, that would say, you know, I don't listen to that much, uh, you know, because I don't want to get influenced by it. And I think that's a funny idea because, you know, if you listen to one guy, you definitely will sound like a parroter of the one guy. But if you listen to 10 to 12 guys on a consistent basis and you're just being sharpened by them, I listen to both people that I know now, um, but then also people like that are from 50, 40, 30 years ago. And that really shapes my thinking. And the part of the reason I do that too is um, 
I want, I want my heart affected. And I think sometimes when you listen to so much podcast content, you can begin to think like, what's, what's, what's happening today? What's in the world? And I think I need my, have my heart, uh, impacted by the word of God. So I'll, I'll listen to a lot of, you know, actually I, one other thing I, I listen to the stuff with Bob Coughlin and David Zimmer on worship, which has been helpful for me because I also lead worship with my wife and that has been helpful. But I would say those, and then a lot of sermons. I listen to Sinclair Ferguson a lot, Jay Mack, um, all those guys. You get a little bit of a Scottish accent after a while with Sinclair, right? Oh, yeah. You just start to talk slower a little bit. <laughs> Do you know that he loves you? Yeah. Do you oh, really believe it? Yeah. He is truly one of my favorite theologians. Uh, this He's is the a, best. a question I love to ask my guests because everyone's got a different opinion. Uh, broadly right. speaking, what encourages you and what concerns you about the current state of evangelicalism? I think what encourages me is that there is a hunger for truth in ways that I don't think there typically has been. And I think now the, the distinguishing line is becoming more and more clear in a great way. I would say what equally discourages me on the other side of it is that sometimes people who are hungering for th truth and aren't yet there are are treated, you know, I just meaning that like, I think there's a lot of people I interact with even at camp um, that want to know the truth that want to know the Bible. And they just, they don't know the answers because they haven't been in churches that have taught the answers. And they could look online and see the people that maybe they have heard that have a lot of reputability and just find out that everyone thinks they're a compromiser. So I'm in, I'm around a lot of people and I like to put it this way, Justin, that have never had the, the blessing of attaching their questions on YouTube or Google with the trusted resource. Meaning that if they type in who is the Holy spirit, I would type that in and say space bar, John MacArthur space bar, RC Sproul. And that's what the answer that's going to be provided. There's a lot of people who just type in their questions and the answers that they're going to receive are algorithmically prominent rather than biblically accurate. Hmm. And I think they, def they desperately want to know the truth. And so um, I think what encourages me is that there's a real hunger out there. I think what discourages me is that the people that maybe have the most solid convictions sometimes shake their head and shake their fingers at those who are more weaken their convictions and don't actually care about going, man, how can we reach these people? I think it's awesome to be a part of a healthy church, but I also think that church's strategy should be, should be not just how we can snipe people from other churches, but how can we strengthen those pastors? How can we, you know, fortify their convictions? Um, just to give you an example, there was a church I was around um, for a number of years, kind of in this context and, in our community, they're kind of identified as a seeker sensitive church. Um, we kind of like, you know, the kind of the butt of some jokes. And I just went, man, I wonder if they actually know how to study the Bible. Like, <coughs> I got them a commentary set by MacArthur and they were crying. They just didn't even know how to use them. They were just like, man, we don't know how to teach the Bible. And I think like I, I would love for us to have just this understanding that yeah people we're only where we are both theologically and salvifically by the grace of god 
And so I think sometimes we just need those reminders, but I'm encouraged by the general thirst for truth. I think in a world of lies and confusion, people don't want any more obscurity. They want it. And that's the, the greatest time to be a truth teller is to go, here's exactly what the Bible says. And I can speak with confidence. Thus says the Lord, and you better buckle up because this is awesome. And so that's a blessing to be a part of. But I'm, I'm also mindful just going, hey, let's, let's be motivated and compelled by what God has done for us. Um, and if, if that makes sense. It makes, it makes sense, man. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I don't want to take any more of your time, Johnny, uh, but I do want to ask this question. Do you have any upcoming projects or interviews that we should be looking forward to and dial in or any of your other um, projects? You know, I, um, I, so I release just weekly episodes right now. I'm just doing my sequential content through the book of Jonah. And then I release the videos as I film them every so often. I got some film dates coming up soon, which will be fun. But one of the episodes I'm excited that I'll release hopefully in the next couple of weeks is I recorded a new episode with Paul Washer on the life of George Mueller. Uh, George Mueller has probably played one of the biggest impacts in, in my life, just his biography and his life of prayer. And I asked George, uh, Paul to just talk about the impact that George Mueller had on his life because that was just a mutual influence on us. And that was something I'm excited uh, to release because I think a lot of people know lines and quotes by people, you know, dead men, but not everyone has actually read them and read their journals. And so I kind of hope in, in the same way that Steve Lawson's biographies have served as kind of fuel for me to read additional biographies of the same men. I kind of hope that I'm going to start doing these little bullet bios um, just to guys and going, hey, here's tell me kind of who they are and their life and their impact on you with different guys uh, in 10 to 15 minute format that will serve hopefully as a catalyst for them to go. I want to know more about George Mueller. So I'm excited for that because uh, George Mueller played a big role in my life. Well, I look forward to that. I, I love George Mueller, too, and just his his ministry and trust in the Lord. It's just a, a huge um his life is just so edifying to me as I think about all that he's done with his, with the orphanage and, and just his faith, just his prayer life. Yeah. Powerful. Um, well, Johnny is the Dean of Campus Life at the Masters University. And again, he hosts the podcast Dial In. Johnny, it's been such a pleasure having you. Uh, thanks uh, for taking so much time with me um, on this humble little podcast. No, this is great, Justin. Thanks for the opportunity, man. Thankful for all you're doing and uh, I'm privileged to be on your show. Thank you.